All right. Our scripture reading um, today comes from two passages. Um, last week's passage of Acts 2, 42 to 47, and then a new one from John 4, 1 through 15. And also, kids can be dismissed for Kid City. All right, Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then from John 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, have you nothing to draw water with? And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome to Holy Trinity Church. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, really glad that you're here this morning. Um, I'm going to give you kind of my aim before we even get started, just so that you can follow along where we're going. And I'll put it this way, I, I'm, I'm speaking this morning to ask you and to challenge you and to invite you to help us to build what I'm going to call a city within the city in order to replicate the life of Jesus Christ but also because he's the living water. So Jesus is the living water. That's the second text we read. And the first text we read was really a picture of what it looks like to live as Christians um, in the city of Jerusalem. And so I want to invite you 
to that. It's going to take me a minute to get uh, into the text here because I'm going to do a little bit of review and also just share one, one piece of good news. Um, in terms of the review, we've been in a series, this series, for the last four weeks. As Sully put it just a moment ago, we're asking God to mold our hearts with his love. And we're asking God to motivate our hands with his work. So we've been talking about what are the priorities of this church over the next few years. And some of you, this is your first time at Holy Trinity. And so it may feel a little bit like you are an outsider listening in. But actually, I also want to, I'm, I'm glad you're here because what we're asking people to do, and, and this series is designed in part to help people who are newish to the, the mission and vision of the church to be acclimated to it. So we've been in a series over the last four weeks on January 2nd. We talked about a simple concept which has to do with being and, and making practicing disciples. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians in our culture today. But what Jesus calls us to, and we see this in, in uh, Matthew 28, is, is a life that is deeply immersed in, in God's character and in his community, uh, a life that's invested in his mission and a life that is instructed and formed by his word. So that was January 2nd. And on January 9th, we talked about this idea, equipping or training. And the idea there is that the, the work of the kingdom of God in our world today doesn't belong to a special elite class of people known as pastors or priests, but that it belongs to the people of God themselves. All who have been bought by Christ are called to be his life, his body in the world, which means that we need equipping and we need training. And then uh, last week we spoke about the idea of... Um, fortifying our center city congregation and thinking about, I, I, I spoke about the, the painting called Nighthawk and the kind of loneliness of it and contrasted that with the life that you see in Acts 2.42-2.47. And what we're doing is we're, this is unfortunate because we did the priorities out of order, but if you do them in order, they spell fit. I think it's on the screen here. There we go. Three priorities over the next few years to fortify our center city congregation. Two is invest in our neighborhoods. And three is train people for the, the ministry of the gospel or for gospel ministry. We're actually um, on the middle priority today, and that's what we're going to be thinking about. Here's the good news. So that, that's just a little bit of a review. Let me give some good news. I think it's good news. On Friday, uh, we, I signed a letter of intent to uh, secure some property for the next five years for Holy Trinity to meet in. Thank you, Emily. Is that you, Emily? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, so praise God for that. A few things about it. There, there is a way out for us if, for instance, the congregation, if you come to an open house and you say, this place is terrible, let's not get this place. So we, I would like to arrange for a, a sort of vision open house where you can come and see it in a couple of weeks. Secondly, if our elders say this place, we, we thought we liked it, this place stinks, we're out, uh, we, can, we don't have to move forward with it. Third, uh, and this is a really important one, I'd ask you to pray about it, um, we have to get a zoning exemption in order to use the space, and we have to go before the zoning board. And as I mentioned last week uh, in the message, um, 
Normally, it takes about three months, and so the lawyer that we're working with said we'll get in in March or April, but someone from the city told us that we could get in in February. So we're trying to get all of our documents together for that. But if they say, no, we're not going to change the, the zoning code, then we're also free of uh, moving forward. Uh, we've worked out a deal where they're starting construction tomorrow. Um, so they're starting construction in order to... Uh, in order to try to help us make a date of being out of here by April 1st. So the, the landlord thinks it'll take about two months in order to do the construction. And so the, I, the hope is that instead of bouncing from the Swiss hotel to another hotel or somewhere else, somewhere else that we could move directly to this space, which is at 218 South Wabash Street. So anyway, that's good news. Just wanted to keep you updated. I, I think at the end of the sermon, I am going to... Um, answer a few questions. So if anybody has any questions about what I talk about today or about, um, or about that space, then I, uh, I will welcome those questions. Let me just pray for us, and then I'll tell you a little more where we're going this morning. So bow with me in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. A lot of people have uh, been praying, and even Jeff just prayed a moment ago that you would provide space for us, and we recognize that um, Moses and, and Abraham and Jesus and Ruth and Naomi we're wanderers, and so uh, it's very countercultural for us to not have a place that is, is stable, and, and if you add um, COVID and the kind of communal sense of uh, pain and trauma that that causes for us uh, as a community individually and in various ways, um, it's a hard season. So our hope is not in a building. Our hope is not in chariots or horses or money. Our hope is in the triune God, but we do ask if it's your will that you would uh, give us a space for the next five years in Christ's name. Amen. Sorry, one last thing I, I thought of as I was praying, which is that um, this, yeah, I did think of it while I was praying. You should listen to your own prayers as you pray, but this space is about, this is, somebody asked me last week how big this was, and then they googled it. This is 7,000 square feet. The sanctuary area would be about 6,000 square feet, and then there would be another 6,000 square feet for children's ministry, fellowship, training, and those kinds of things. So it'd be roughly double uh, the, amount, the amount of space that we have here, except that instead of just renting it for Sundays, we would have it 24-7 for the same cost that we're paying for our offices and for this space briefly on Sundays for just a short period of time. So it's a remarkable price um, that, that they have agreed to with us, and we're just praying that everything can move forward. So today what we're going to be talking about is the second priority, which is called investing in the neighborhoods. And just to kick that off, I want to uh, read a quote from... Um, one, an author that I enjoy, um, whose name is E.B. White. You might know E.B. White because he wrote, anybody know what he wrote? Charlotte's Web, thank you. And he wrote The Elements of Style, which succinctly stated is that clarity is style. So it's like a little, it's interesting, it's like a little guide to English. But he also wrote, he was an essayist, and so he, one of the other things that he wrote was uh, a little uh, booklet, or it's, it's just like, it's kind of an essay, but it's a small book, and it's called This is New York. He wrote it in 1948 during a really hot summer, but I just want you to hear kind of his image of neighborhoods in New York. He says, 
The often quoted thumbnail sketch of New York is, it's a wonderful place to visit, but I'd hate to live there. He says, I have an idea that people from villages and small towns, people accustomed to the convenience and friendliness of the neighborhood over the fence living are unaware that life in New York follows the neighborhood pattern. He says, the city is a composite of tens of thousands of tiny neighborhood units. And as you know, Chicago, the University of Chicago says Chicago has 77 community areas. It has some 287 uh, neighborhoods as well. So similar to New York, um, although it's much smaller. Each neighborhood, he says, is virtually self-sufficient, which is actually not true of Chicago, but I'm going to keep reading. He says, thus, no matter where you live in New York, you will find within a block or two a grocery store, a barbershop, a newsstand, a shoeshine shack, an ice coal and wood cellar where you write your order on a pad as you walk by it. It's a little bit of a throwback to a different era, like uh, late 40s. But you get the idea of kind of the vitality of a neighborhood in New York. He says a delicatessen where beer and sandwiches are delivered at any hour to your door, a flower shop, an undertaker's parlor, a movie house, a radio repair shop, a stationer, a haberdash, a tailor, a drugstore, a garage, a tea room, a saloon, a hardware store, a liquor store, and a shoe repair shop. Anyway, it gives you this image of what it like, was like to live in New York kind of uh, mid, mid-century in 1948 or so. In contrast with Chicago, there are whole, Chicago is a city of neighborhoods, but there are whole neighborhoods where you drive by and there is no haberdashery. There is, I don't even know if that's a word. There's no grocery store. Instead, there's a church, a small storefront church, and a liquor store, and a currency exchange. And yet Chicago is this kind of a city of neighborhoods. He goes on and says, the city is like poetry. It, comp- it compresses all of life. This part's definitely true. All races and breeds into a small area and adds music and the accompaniment of internal engines. Then he speaks of Manhattan. He says, the island of Manhattan is without doubt the greatest human concentrate on earth, the poem whose magic is comprehensible to millions of permanent residents, but whose full meaning will always remain elusive. So that's a long quote, but it has to do with the idea of investing in our neighborhoods. And what I want to do this morning is really reinforce that main idea that I said at the beginning. I want to invite you to build what I'm calling a city within the city that replicates the life of Christ in the neighborhoods and experiences Jesus as the water of life, the water of eternal life. So that's where I'm going to go this morning. And here's how I'm going to talk about investing in the neighborhoods. I'm going to say, what, what do we mean by investing in the neighborhoods first? Then why would we invest in the neighborhoods second? And then why would we invest in the neighborhoods third? Two whys. Okay, so what, why, why? And the first why is going to be mostly Acts 2, 42 to 47. The second why is going to be mostly um, John chapter 4. Okay, so that's where we're going. In terms of what, um, what, I, what I want to bring to your attention this morning is that we're we're asking you over the next three to four years, three to five years, to join us in investing in the neighborhoods in a particular way. And I'm calling it building a city within the city, or you could think of it as building a village within each neighborhood 
that replicates kind of the, the life of Christ. And I'm just going to break that down a little bit and think about uh, some of the elements of what I was just saying. I, I mentioned this idea of building a city within a city. It's borrowing some of Augustine's language from City of God, City of Man. And the, the idea that Augustine is writing about, or the reason why Augustine is writing, is because Rome has virtually fallen, and he's giving an explanation of how the greatest city in the world, Rome, could fall. And he's talking about how the barbarians have come in, in a sense, and overtaken the city, but his argument is that no one can destroy the city of God. And what he's saying is that within the city of man, there is another city which is the city of God. The new Jerusalem, so to speak, that will outlast. So while what we see of this city is mostly the, um, the city of man, the skyscrapers, uh, LaSalle Street, and uh, all the bankers and, and financial people, people there on, on Wacker, the hospitals, etc., He's arguing that what God sees is something else, which is a city within the city. <laughs> and that's what Christians are called to help to build, something that outlasts the city of Chicago itself. So that's part of what I'm calling you to, and that's part of what this second initiative is that we're setting as a priority over the next three to five years, is just working hard at building a city within the city. I, I use the language of a village within the neighborhood as well. And the reason I'm, I'm trying to scale it down then a little bit, and you may have heard me say this before, but imagine a, a rural village somewhere, perhaps in England, perhaps uh, outside the city of Nairobi, where it's only 200 people or 150 people and everyone knows each other. And people know where you go to get your eggs, and they know where you go to get your car fixed, and they know, and they know everybody. A lot of people have run away from those towns because everybody knows you in those cities, which is a pro and a con. So what, what we're talking about is we call also intentional Christian communities, which is like a village of God, so to speak, within a neighborhood. Or another way to think of it is that there are people within a 10-minute walking distance of you who support you and know you and love you. So while in Acts 2.42 to 47, it gives this description of the life of the Christians there being glad and having all things in common, we're, we want to replicate that Acts 2.42 to 47 vision within each neighborhood. And there's probably 27 different neighborhoods represented here this morning. Listen to what it says. Day by day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, having praising God and having favor with all the people. So we have been experimenting with what we're calling, what we've called intentional Christian communities for about eight or nine years. And we've seen a number of them go through life cycles. So it's, what I'm saying right now is not like we're doing something we've never done before, but we're recommitting to something that we have been doing, taking a step back and saying, what might it look like to do this more effectively than we're doing now? And we've seen some of our, what we call intentional Christian communities, implode. <laughs> Go through a life cycle of about eight years, have a peak, everybody starts having kids, everyone moves away from each other, and we start again. So we are experimenting, not experimenting, we are 
drilling down on this priority to say what can we learn and how can we do this more effectively. So that's a little bit of the what. Uh, let, me, let me be a little more specific. Imi imi imagine, that's a hard word to say, imagine women, single women, married women, walking to one another's house early morning, say, to pray together. Imagine some, some men walking to uh, one another's house or at a local coffee shop after work to be accountable to one another. Imagine musicians from an intentional Christian community gathering together for a worship night and lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and praising him. Imagine um, people who are part of the intentional Christian community inviting their neighbors into the community to experience the love of Christ and what he is like. So that's the initiative that we are thinking of and Man, if someone gave us a million dollars, we can do this for a dollar, this whole thing, but if someone gave us a million dollars, I believe <laughs> that the Lord could help us plant a hundred, network of a hundred of them across the city over the next 20 or 30 years. But we can do it for a dollar also. So uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a strategy that doesn't really cost very much money, but the more leadership and the more staff that we have, the faster it can go. So if you're watching right now and want to write your pledge for a million dollars, please do so, and you will receive... Uh, I'm just teasing, okay? Um, I'm going to move forward to the why. If that's the what, this vision for a kind of network of decentralized, intentional Christian communities, the people of God in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 didn't live at the temple. They lived on the outskirts from the temple. But they came together at the temple, and then they did life kind of in a more dispersed kind of way. So that's the what is this life of Christ replicated in the neighborhoods. And now what I want to do is just say a little bit of the why. Why do we want to invest in our neighborhoods in the next few years? And I've kind of touched on it a little bit from, from Acts 2.42 to 47, but I'll just say number one is for the health of the church. In order for the church to be healthy, this church, but other churches... There has to be both a, a powerful gathering together on a Sunday, but there also has to be a life that is happening that's decentralized in the neighborhoods where people are bearing one another's burdens, where people are weeping on one another's shoulders, where people know that when somebody had a miscarriage, there's some casseroles that come to that house, or when somebody's in the hospital, that there are people who live within the 10-minute walking distance who say, I'm going to be there and I'm going to visit you in the hospital. So for the health of the church, the pattern of the New Testament is to both gather centrally, but also to gather in a decentralized way. If you look at Acts 2.46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together, yes, they did have a centralized gathering, and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So one reason for investing in our neighborhoods is because it will bring it will help our church to be more healthy. The second reason is because we all live in neighborhoods and Chicago is a city of neighborhoods. So why invest in our neighborhoods? Because that's where we live. That's where we do all of our life, even if it's not as sort of romantic and, and as beautiful as E.B. E. White's vision of New York. Um, there are many neighborhoods like Streeterville, that are full of amenities, full of restaurants, full of coffee shops. And there are many neighborhoods that are uh, 
um, nutritional deserts, vocational deserts, concentrated with crime, concentrated with uh, trauma, dysfunction, pain. Even Streeterville, of course, is filled with pain. It's just beneath a kind of veneer. So we all live in neighborhoods, so let's invest in the neighborhoods. Number one is for the health of the church. Number two is because that's where we live. Number three is one of the most important commandments to being a practicing disciple, the second most important, actually, is to love your neighbor as yourself. So yeah, maybe we get Christianity all complicated sometimes. Maybe it boils down to loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then what else? Loving your neighbor as yourself. I do believe that when Jesus said those words, he meant more than just the geographic proximate person who lives right next to you, but it at least has to include them, right? It at least has to include the person down the door, down the hall from you, or who lives geographically next door. So all I'm saying is let's keep investing in loving God and loving our neighbors. Why should we invest in the neighborhoods? Because one of Jesus's commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so a lot of us are confused by the deterioration of the culture all around us. People are retreating into tribes. They're unable to talk to other people that we don't agree with or understand. There's a harshness in life that didn't used to be there, it seems like. There are loud voices in culture that are so full of answers that are a little bit off that we sometimes can't hear and we feel confused. But our lifeline is the gospel. And so we want to say, what does it look like to love someone who is different from me? Or it's the same as me, but who is probably different from you or me? How do we love our neighbors as ourselves? What does it look like? What does justice look like when we see so much injustice around us? So that's one of the priorities of uh, Chicago 2025 as we move forward is to invest in our neighborhoods. Those are some reasons from um, Acts 2.42 to 47 and some general reasons. Now I just want to take you to uh, John 4 and give you a few reasons. My second why, why invest in our neighborhoods and one way to say it is because Jesus is and has the water of eternal life. And you can go into CVS, and you can go into Walgreens, and you can go into any restaurant here, and you will not be served the water of eternal life. And yet Christ has given you access to it, the, this water that you can drink which is really his life, his person, and become a new person. I think the central part of the text is verse 7 to 10, and really verse, verse 10, but I want to read verses 7 to 10. So imagine the scene. Here's Jesus, who's a rabbi. Here's Jesus, who's a Jew. Here's Jesus, who's weary from the journey. And he says to a woman, crossing a barrier, <laughs> she doesn't ask him for a drink. He says, give me a, he says, give me a drink. Evangelistically, it's like being on an elevator and saying, what floor do you live on? 
or how long have you been in the It's just like a little tiny micro step towards someone. Here's a tired rabbi, and he says, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? And Jesus answered her, here's the center. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Picture the imagery. Here's the son of God, so weary at this moment, asking her for a drink, knowing she's thirsty, knowing she's come to drink, knowing that her life is barren and that her life is dry and that he can give her what she needs. You need the water of eternal life more than you need anything else. And our neighbors need the water of eternal life more than they need anything else. We should invest in our neighborhood, neighborhoods because our neighbors need the water of eternal life. Secondly, a second reason from John 4 for investing in our neighborhoods is this, is that we follow a barrier-crossing king and savior. We follow a barrier-crossing king and savior and even a, a barrier-uniting king and savior. Part of what's so poignant about this passage and part of the reason why John, the author, included it. We don't even know the woman's name. But somehow John wanted to show that Jesus loves this nameless woman who has been through five marriages, is living with someone that she is no longer married to. And John is saying, look at who Jesus came for. This one. The chapter before, Nicodemus, the educated one who comes at night, the, the professor from Northwestern University, sort of. We have a barrier-crossing king and savior. Jesus isn't from Samaria, but he goes there to bring the water of eternal life. Truth be told, he's just crossing from Judah to up, up to back to Galilee. But what John is also showing is that every region of the Middle East belongs to the Son of God. It's what I said. I, I think last week, maybe two weeks ago, from Abraham Kuyper, that there's not one square inch of all of creation over which the sovereign Christ does not say, mine. And he's showing that even this region, Samaria, deserves the good news. It's like saying, yes, Austin and Englewood and Lawndale, North Lawndale, deserve the good news. So does Streeterville. So does River North. So does Lincoln. Actually, I'm not sure about Lincoln Park, but I'm teasing. <laughs> Heresy. Here's what she says. The, the woman said to him, how is it, this verse 9, that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? Look at the barriers that he crosses. She knows that as a man, he shouldn't be talking to her. As a rabbi, he shouldn't be doing that. There's a gender barrier. There's a religious barrier, which you see later. They don't believe the same thing. He crosses that gender barrier. He crosses that religious barrier. He's crossing a geographic barrier. 
He's, cross, he's crossing a class barrier. He's educated. He's crossing a moral barrier. What the Pharisees would do in this situation is reject her. Why? She's not worthy of the attention of God. And Jesus says, no one's worthy. She's worthy. And he goes to her. Gender, geography, religion, morality, and yet Christ wa offers her water. So why invest in our neighborhoods? One is because Jesus has eternal life, the water of eternal life. And we want the streams of his life to flow in our neighborhoods. Two is because he's a barrier-crossing king and savior. And three is because Jesus can change a neighborhood. If you look, I didn't have us read the whole passage because it's very long, but in verse 27, his disciples come back because they went away to get some food. And they said, uh, and it says then that the woman left her water jar, went, went, to, went into her town and said to her people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. And then verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed. And they believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we've heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Put it a different way. Why invest in the neighborhoods? This is, this is the point Jesus makes a little bit prior to that, and that is because there's a huge harvest in our city. We look at the city and we see all the brokenness and all the problems, and we think, who could ever do anything about that? But the eyesight of Jesus is different. When he looks at the brokenness and pain of the world, he says, that's a chance for me to touch a life and to heal it. When he sees those who are morally broken or sexually broken or relationally broken, he says, that's someone for him to touch. And we know that's the case because he says to the disciples when they come back, this is verse 33 to 38, the disciples come back and they say, did anybody give him any food, Jesus? Did, and Jesus, that's, I love that line, he says, I have food that you do not know about. He said, I already ate. And then he says, my, my food is to do the will of the Father. And then he says this. He says, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And what he's saying is that when you look at the needs of the city, like, or the needs of a region like Samaria, <laughs> that the needs are where God wants to work for the harvest. And I've shared this story before, but I'll just do it real quick. There's a sh shoe salesman about 60 years ago had an encounter with a field of, uh, a, new, a new encounter in, in the field of business and sales on a remote island. And another uh, shoe salesman had gone to this island as well. And the first shoe salesman telegraphs back or emails back and says, this is before email, says, um, cancel my or order, no one here wears shoes. And the second guy, the second salesman, looks out at all the people who don't wear shoes, and he says, quadruple my order. No one here wears shoes. <laughs> it's a matter of perspective. 
And Jesus looks at our neighborhoods, at Streeterville, at River North, at Hyde Park, at Englewood, at North Lawndale. And he says that the, har- the, the fields are white unto harvest. So why invest in our neighborhoods? Jesus has the water of life. He's a barrier-crossing king and savior. Jesus can change a neighborhood. The, we- the fields are white unto harvest. And then the last thing I'll say, and I kind of touched on this, is all of us, like the woman at the well, have brokenness. All of us, like the woman at the well, need substantial healing, and only the water, the eternal water of Jesus Christ, can fully heal us. Last week I said, man, I wish you could hear the, know what some of the needs of our neighborhood are. But all around us, as you know, is need from violence, from domestic disputes, from hard hearts, from alcohol, from sexual abuse. And Jesus comes to this woman of five husbands and says, whoever drinks the water that I give them will never be thirsty. That water I give them will become in him or her a spring of water rising up to eternal life. Those are some reasons why we should invest in the neighborhood. To simplify it, it's because we want to see the life of Christ replicated, the, the, the New Testament life of Acts 2, 42 to 47, replicated in our neighborhoods. And secondly, because we have the water of eternal life. We want to see that flow through the streets of Chicago. I'm going to ask you to, uh, to, to respond in a way, and it seems a little strange at the moment, I'm not going to do an altar call. I'm going to do a QR call. So I'm going to put a QR code on the on the screen, and I'm going to ask you to just uh, here's here's what I here's a couple ways you can respond. We'd like to have some meetings about intentional Christian communities over the next three or four months or so. If you have a place that you could host something like that in your neighborhood, then there's a little spot you can click on to do that. If you he put it on the screen. So if you want to take a pic, bring up your phone, take a picture. If you don't know what a QR code is, ask your neighbor. Um, so first of all is if you're interested, if you'd be open to hosting an info session at your house, your home, your, your condo, or your apartment, click that. If you'd be willing, if you're not, you can't host, but you'd like to attend something like that in your neighborhood, so in Lawndale or in Streeterville or wherever it is, and you want to just have some more information, great. If you're, if you're kind of not a member of Holy Trinity and you're exploring and you want to think about taking membership vows, you can do that. And uh, there's one more. I think it's if you have a million dollars and you want to give it, just put your, uh, your, your credit card information in there. And there's no processing fees, I promise you. So take a moment on the QR code and uh, just... Fill that out if you would. Um, oh, I know. I think the last one. What is the last one, Sully? He doesn't know either. Okay, we're we're gonna um, do that. I'm just gonna give you a second while while I wrap things up, and then we're gonna sing a song. And then I'll, if there's any questions about what does it mean to invest in our neighborhoods or the space, we'll do a really short Q and A after we sing our our closing hymn. Um, but let me just close in this way. Some of you are tired here this morning. You don't have the margin or the energy to minister to anyone else. I know. You work hard in long hours. And maybe you already are just like giving yourself so much. There's this 
sweet little thing in the passage where, man, Jesus is tired. <laughs> the Son of God is, is tired, and he continues to minister. Look at what it says in, in verse, uh, verse 6. It says, Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. If you're tired, two things. One, you're in good company. The Son of God was also weary. And two, as Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's rest from the eternal living water, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you that uh, <laughs> the king of the world, the savior of the world was a barrier crossing, gender crossing, <laughs> geography crossing, religion crossing, culture crossing, morality crossing, savior who cares for our, our, our confused and thirsty culture. But we're thirsty too. So this water that you have, may we have some. May we drink from you because we are weary. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.